Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's uh, it's actually the, the the fifth day of Hanukkah, which is which uh, is the darkest night of Hanukkah. So this is the the night that uh, the day that actually needs the most light. Um, and and the reason why they know that this is the darkest uh, day night of Hanukkah is because um, Shabbos can fall on any of the eight days, but it never falls on the fifth day. So it's just the way the calendar is constructed. The, the fifth day never is able to get the extra, that extra light of uh, Shabbos. So, so therefore, it's the darkest night. And there's a Hasidic custom to throw parties and get-togethers and, and learn Torah together on the, on the fifth day. So as an extra elevation. And we know that the whole idea of Hanukkah is that Hanukkah reaches down to the to the lowest place and is able to to lift up even in that place. You know, um, just in terms of contemporary society, you know, there's so much, unfortunately, there's there's so much ignorance and, and so much assimilation. Um, and yet you see that Hanukkah is probably the holiday that's kept more than anything else. So you see that the light of Hanukkah has reached all the way, all the way, all the way down. Um, we, we see this on a more sort of mystical level as well. There's a custom to actually light the menorah uh, below ten tefachim. Now, a, a, a tefach is a, is a Torah measurement. It's um, a hand's breadth. So if you were to make a fist, sort of like the, the height of your fist would be a tefach. So there's a teaching that the Shekhinah, God's presence, well, God, let's just preface it by saying that God fills the entire world. Nonetheless, this concept of the Shekhinah, which is a more revealed aspect of godliness, doesn't descend below ten tefachim. In other words, it goes all the way down, but not all the way, all the way down. This is, again, not God's essence, which fills the entire world, but, but this aspect of God called the Shekhinah, which is a more revealed aspect. Now, where do they learn this out from? Because it's, if you think about it, it's a completely totally esoteric measurement, right? Like, how do you know, like, it goes down except for ten tefachim, and what's, what, what's that all about? But they learn it out in a very uh, amazing, very clear way, which is that the, they measure the height of the Aron HaKodesh, the golden ark in the Holy of Holies. And it says that between the wingspan of the angels on top of the ark of the covenant is where Hashem would speak to Moshe through, through where the wings join together. And so they are able to measure exactly how high that is up from the ground based on the measurements of the ark in the Torah. And where is that spot where Hashem would speak to Moshe? Ten tefachim above the ground. Ten hands breadth above the ground. So they say that God's, that God's Shekhinah, so to speak, this revealed aspect of God, goes up until ten tefachim, but not, not below. So what's the point? Why am I telling you all this? Because on Hanukkah, we actually have a custom to put the menorah below ten tefachim, to show that even the darkest places can be lit up by this tremendous light. And that there is no place devoid of godliness. That's even more the point, right? And again, you see it on a societal level today, that in the places where there's the least amount of information, the, the light of Hanukkah is able to spread and, and to just get into our bones. Um, so, so, there's an extra special thing happening today. And you just see, whenever you see these alignments, it's just so, um, I think to me, so beautiful and amazing. Um, which is that today, this year, the fifth night of Hanukkah is coming on the winter solstice. Which means that this is the darkest day of the entire year, according to the sun as well. In other words, right now it's the longest night of the entire year. On the fifth day of Hanukkah. So you see this amazing convergence that's going on right now. So all the more so we should learn Torah, right? And, and, and really light up the world. Okay. So now, I just want to begin with a, an, an introduction. Because I think that this is important. And then hopefully we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll go from there. Which is, which is the, the classic way of understanding creation 
is, is, is God said, Vayahi uh, or, let there be light. And one of the beautiful things actually is that this Vayahi or, let there be light, the word or is the 25th word in the Torah. And of course, Hanukkah happens on the 25th of Kislev. So this again, the first mention of light, the initial light of creation, syncs with when we celebrate Hanukkah, when the miracle of Hanukkah happened. So another amazing convergence, but we, we know that the Torah is the blueprint of all of reality. So we, we're not surprised to see these things, but at the same time, it, it just uh, opens our eyes to the, to the infinity of the Torah itself. But getting back to the point, our, our narrative of, of, of creation, we say, and God said, let there be light, right? Vayahi or, and there was light. So, so as such, we tend to think that when the world was created, it was filled with darkness and it was a very dark place. In other words, the starting point of reality is darkness. This is, I think, what, what most of us think. And yet the opposite is true. Because before the world was created, there was God. And one of the names of Hashem is the Or Ein Sof, light without end. So in other words, the starting point of reality is actually phenomenal light. Phenomenal light. Like beyond, 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 beyond. Making like the light of the sun, like into the biggest joke in the world, right? Phenomenal light is the starting point of reality. And then God creates the world. And it starts with darkness, right? Remember one of the, like what Reb Shlomo would call cash Torahs. What's a cash Torah? That's a Torah that you have to have in your pocket, ready to pull out at any time, right? You got to know it backwards and forwards, right? So one of the cash Torahs, in my opinion, is the, word, the fact that the word for world, olam, that means world in Hebrew, has the root elam, ayin lamid mem, which means um hiddenness, right? Because God is hidden in this world. So we start with the Orein Sof, we start with Hashem, which is phenomenal light. Then we go to this place of hiddenness, right? And now our job is to finish revealing the light, right? That's our job, to not, not to make light, right? But to reveal the light that's there, to reveal the light that's hidden. So so along comes Hanukkah, and we say that Hanukkah is the restoration of that original light. See, when, when Hashem made the world, there was a very, very great light initially. This Vayahi Or, this initial light, was not the light of the sun. The light of the sun comes already on the fourth day of creation. So when God said, let there be light, this was a tremendous, beautiful light. Again, not as great as the light of Hashem himself, right? But a tremendous light, again, phenomenally, exponentially higher than the light of the sun. And, and our rabbis teach, a very, very deep teaching that I am still trying to understand this, but that Hashem saw that it wasn't appropriate that Rashayim, people who weren't worthy, should be able to bask in this tremendous light. So God hid away this initial light, and it's going to be restored again at the end of days. But every once in a while, we're able to get a glimpse of that light. And so that light is called the Or, is called, uh, the or Haganus, which means the light basically that was hidden away. Now interestingly, our rabbis teach that that light burned for 36 hours. And what's really amazing about Hanukkah is that if you count the number of candles that you light over the course of Hanukkah, it's one the first night, two the second night, three the third night, on and on till the eighth night, it adds up to 36. So you see that the light of Hanukkah parallels and gives us a glimpse into this initial light the Or Haganus. So, so again, it's not the Or Haganus. On some level it is. I mean, it's not this blinding original restoration of the light. Nonetheless, the rabbis are making a very clear parallel between the light of Hanukkah and this initial light of creation. 
So, so what's it all about? See, we've been talking about we've been talking about this 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 idea of um, the aleph, the letter aleph, and the letter ayin being polar opposites, which is to me it's a it's a it's a fascinating comparison because both of these letters are silent letters. You can't pronounce the aleph and you can't pronounce the ayin, and yet. In terms of Jewish thought, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Aleph, of course, is the first letter of the alphabet, and the numerical correspondence is one. So in a very deep way, it, 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 it corresponds with the oneness of God. And Ayin is the number 70. And 70 stands for the 70 nations, which means it's a number which signifies division and multiplicity, disunity, if you will. Not only that, but ayin is not just the name of a letter, it's the name of a word. It means your eye. And your eye is the primary um, vehicle or vessel in order to perceive what looks like disunity in the world. What looks like the illusion of many powers running the world. As opposed to the truth, which is one power, only Hashem running the world. So we have this concept of the inside and the outside. Right? You have the inside and the outside. And the inside is the oneness of God which is animating absolutely everything. And then you have the outside which is this curtain or this illusion of multiplicity which God asks us to see through and to actively unify with Torah mitzvahs. See, the idea is that when you do a mitzvah, what you're doing is you're situated in this world of separation in this illusion that this world is not connected and is not within God. And you take items from this world, actions from this world, and you do it for the sake of the oneness of God. And in this way, you unify the name of Hashem. Because you're showing that there's no disconnect between this realm, this dimension that we live in, where it looks like there are many different powers and the oneness of God. And so when you do actions, when you live your life in this dimension, which testifies to the oneness of God, this unifies all of creation. Okay, this is, so this is the idea of revealing the oneness of God. Okay, so, but what we see from this is that you can have situations where the outside doesn't seem to match the inside, right? Because the inside is Hashem's light, which is animating absolutely everything. And the outside is this illusion that there's separate powers, okay? So what's the light of Hanukkah coming to do? It's coming to knock down the barriers between the inside and the outside, right? That's this idea that the light of the Hanukkah menorah is the Or Haganuz, is this original light of creation, it's coming to unify and break through all of the barriers that there's any separation between us and Hashem. And I think that this, in a very deep way, is, is one of the dynamics that's at play when we put our menorah on our windowsill. Because what happens is, is that it's meant to be seen from the outside. In other words, the outside matches the inside. Do you see because the light inside your home is the light that's going out into the street. The candle inside is the candle outside. It becomes the same. You're knocking down the barriers between the inside and the outside. You see, and this is true for people as well. See, we talk about the, the inner light of a person. And we want your inner light to be manifest on your outside. And it's something that I, I always go back to because I just think that there's such a, this is such a window into the, the difference between the, the Torah vision of um, how to live your life and the, and, the, and the Western vision of how to do it. It's just, a, just a, like if you just shine like a, a laser beam on this, on this one point, you see like this world of difference. The word for face in English comes from, I don't know whether it's Greek or whether it's Latin or whatever it is, 
It comes from the word facade, which means that, that means a false front. So that means that this Western presentation is that your face is actually not a true representation of who you are. Face comes from facade, a false front. Whereas in Hebrew, the word for face is panim, which comes from the word panemius, which means your insides. In other words, there's a match between your face and your insides. So that's the Torah ideal, that a person's outside should match their inside, and vice versa as well. That's again the idea of breaking down the barriers between the inside and the outside, right? That's the Hanukkah light. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And remember, the light of the Beis Amigdash, where the Hanukkah menorah originally shone, that that, that 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 light shone and lit up the entire world, right? And they say that windows in general, right? You know about the windows of the Beis Amigdash. Normally, uh, a window wants to get as much as the outside light from outside into the room. But the windows in the Beis Amigdash were small on the inside and big on the outside because it was broadcasting light to the entire world. Didn't need the light of the outside world. It was generating the light of the entire world. So, so let's go a little bit further. Um, very, some very interesting ideas, and then I want to go into a whole other section, which I, I really want to talk about some more. But just a, a couple of just uh, ideas here, just because uh, they're, I think they're very interesting. Um, every month has a letter that it corresponds to. The Sefer Yitzir brings down the letter for the month of... Um, the letter for the one more example, just uh, of, of this idea of breaking down barriers. One of the interesting things about Hanukkah, and it's unique. There's no other Jewish holiday like this. It spans two months. It starts in Kislev every year and goes into the next month, which is Teves every year. There's no other holiday like that. In other words, there's this even this 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 supernatural idea of breaking down the barriers of time itself. You know, even boundaries of time, it's like totally breaking down. Because, of course, what was one of the aspects of the miracle of Hanukkah was that it was only supposed to burn for a limited amount of time, and it broke through the boundaries of time. So here you see it's like starting in one month, and it's like breaking the boundaries and going into another month. Normally speaking, the months on the Jewish calendar are separate ideas. You know, so again, it's just like plowing through this amazing light. So, so again, just to review, the letter for the month of Kislev, which, which is where Hanukkah starts, on the 25th of Kislev, is the letter Samech. Okay? Now, listen to how these things all converge. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, which is our declaration of the oneness of God, right, has 25 letters. And the Zohar says that that corresponds to the first day of Kislev leading up to the 25th day of Kislev, right where Hanukkah starts. And then we say, And again, the Zohar continues that that's 24 letters. So that's leading from the first day of Kislev leading up to Hanukkah. Okay, so you have this amazing... Hanukkah connection and with the Shema and Bruch Shem Kavod Machus Olim Ve'ed. Okay? And it goes way, 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 way deeper than that, but let's, let's just, just on the, on, the, on, the, on the most surface level right now. And again, Samach is the letter of Kislev, where, where it starts. Now, I heard from Rabbi Shor, something amazing, uh, Rabbi Avraham Shor, um, and he, he says that if you spell out the Letters of the Aleph base, right? So, in other words, Aleph would you would spell it um, Aleph Lamid Fe, right? That's Aleph. And then, if you take the gematria of that, right, that that would add up to one hundred and eleven. Okay. And I, I heard just uh, just to make the point from the from the Rishon Rebbe, he brings that you know the the, the 
The Zohar, the, the Zohar says that God, the Jewish people, and the Torah are all one. So here in the, in the letter for one, Aleph, which means one, bless you, which means one, that, that it's three ones, right? Because it adds up to 111, one, 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 which is the Torah, the Jewish people, and Hashem are all one. And all, they're all one within his oneness, <laughs> right? So that, that's reflected in the letter Aleph. But if you take the gematria of the letter Aleph, which is Aleph, Aleph, Aleph Lamed Fe, that's 111. Then if you spell out the letter Bez and add that up, and you spell out the letter Gimel and you add that up, and you spell out the letter Dalit and you add up that, and you continue on to the letter Samach, including the letter Samach, right? You get the number 2,476, which is the gematria of Shema Yisrael, Shem Elokeinu, Shem Echad, so contained within up until the letter Samich is Shema Yisrael and Brook Shem Kavod. And what did we just say? That Samich is the letter of Kislev, which is the letter of which is the which is Hanukkah, and the first through the twenty-fourth of Kislev is Brook Shem Kavod Machusalilamvaid, and then to Hanukkah, the first to the twenty-fifth is Shema Yisrael Shemalakinu Shemachat. So I want to extend this teaching, this idea that, this idea that, um, that the Samach is, is, is including Shema, right? You know, Reb Shlomo brings down that when you hug someone, right, you make the letter Samach around them, right? And we know from Ashrei that Samach, the letter Samach means Somech Noflim, to uplift the fallen, which means that the soul body language that's happening when two people embrace is they're communicating to each other on a soul level, I'm not going to let you fall, right? That's why hugs feel so good, right? Because that's what's being communicated to you. I'm not going to let you fall, right? But now we see an extra thing, that when two people embrace and they make a samich, what's also happening? Two people are becoming one. That's Shema Yisrael, the declaration of God's oneness, right? So, so, so now let's keep on going. Um, now this is really kind of what I want to focus in on today you see what, 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 what did I tell you we've got 8 days of Hanukkah and we've got 36 candles that we're lighting over the 8 days now in the beginning of Breshis there's a, a word that everyone has to know because it's a super loaded word. And there's like a lot of Torah on this word. Like tons of Torah and tons of Kabbalah on this one word, okay? So we'll just kind of scratch the surface of it. But it relates to Hanukkah. And, and we'll get into it a little bit. At least we'll, we'll have an introduction to the word anyway. Okay, so let me read you the Pasuk in English first. So it says, um, When the earth was astonishingly empty... This is the second verse of the Torah, by the way. Right? This is, right? With, with beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. And now starting here, when the earth was astonishingly empty and darkness, that word is choshech, darkness, was upon the surface of the deep. And the rabbis say that that word darkness stands for Greece. Okay? So, again, this idea, remember what we said, uh, I think it was last week, in the name of Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, that when it says that we ate from the tree of knowledge and our eyes were opened, right? So, so he explains, what does that mean our eyes were open? Because then we saw each other's physicality and we were embarrassed in front of each other, right? So what does it mean? Usually when, when you say to, um, to someone, wow, that was eye-opening, or you really opened my eyes to such and such a thing. Usually we mean that we were enlightened, right? With the word light, right? We were enlightened, right? But here, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver says very clearly, very clearly that what it means that when we ate from the tree of knowledge and our eyes were opened, our eyes were opened to materiality, right? So it was actually a level of concealment what was happening. Our eyes were like, you know, opened to physicality, something, something else entirely. So, so, when the earth was astonishingly, astonishingly empty with darkness, and again, this word choshech, 
Um, which interestingly is the same letters for the word in Hebrew to forget. Darkness and forgetting are the same word, the same letters in Hebrew. And darkness here is um, the, the exile of Greece upon the surface of the deep and the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the waters. Right? This is all before God says, let there be light. Then God says, let there be light. Okay? So this is the word I want to get into. This word, uh, we'll do it in Hebrew in a moment, but this word, uh, in English anyway, as it's translated, hovered. The divine presence hovered upon the surface of the waters. So what does that mean? I mean, that's really esoteric. Like, what does that mean exactly? So, so in, in, in Hebrew, it's merachefet. Okay? So we're going to get into that word in a, in a moment. But let's just get the concept down before we delve into the word itself. Because you'll see there's, there's a lot of remarkable things in this word. So, um, so, so we talk about it all the time, and, and, and God willing, this idea is fixed in your head, because I, 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 I sincerely believe that you can't understand the world, and you can't understand your own life unless you understand this concept, which is the idea that the world hasn't been finished being created yet. This is an essential, essential, essential concept to know, to lock, to, as Rib Shlomo would say, to, to carve in your heart. Because everyone has this giant question, and it's a great question, which is, if God created the world, and God is good, why is the world so messed up? Everyone has this question. Most people can't articulate this question, and almost no one has an answer for this question. But the answer is actually very straightforward because it's not done yet. The world's not done yet. You know, I always think of an example, you know, which is that imagine you walk into the kitchen and there's like a glass bowl with some brownie mix in it and a raw egg cracked on top. And you walk in and you dip your fingers in the raw egg and the brownie mix and you taste it and you go, these brownies are terrible. That person says it's not done yet. We're not, it's still. So that, that's the world. That's the world. And that, that's our job. This is our job, which is to be partners with God in terms of finishing creation. That's what the mitzvahs are. That's what the Torah is, right? Okay. So, so with that in mind, and I'll throw in one more thing. The, I heard this from Rabbi Tetz. The, the word breishis means with beginnings or in the beginning, however you want to translate it, but it means beginning. Now, anyone who is using their mind will understand that every beginning has a middle and an end. In other words, if you're talking about the beginning of something, you're talking about a process which has been initiated. Right? So God is telling us literally from the first word of the Torah, literally from the first word of the Torah, it's not done yet. This is a process. You're all part of a process right now. This is essential. But now comes this amazing word, Mirachethes, which means that God's presence was hovering above like the darkness. Now, what does that mean? What does it help me if someone is, or something is hovering? Does that, does that help me, right? But that's not, that's not the way the Torah is, is um, communicating. That's, it's, 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 a, it's, it, it's not clear, this translation. So imagine when a plane is circling, bless you, when a plane is circling around an airport, wh what is it getting ready to do? It's getting ready to land, right? Why is it circling? It's circling in order so that an airstrip is going to open up so that it can land. Do you understand? So this idea of hovering, it's not hovering in order to be consciously disconnected. That's not the idea. The idea is that the finishing of creation, well, let me just give you one more piece of information, then you'll understand what this means. It says, V'ruach Elohim merachefes al The spirit of Hashem, the ruach of Hashem, the rabbis teach in the, the Medrash, 
that, that that's two primary things that it's talking about. What is the Ruach, the spirit of Hashem? It's talking about Mashiach. And it's not just talking about Mashiach. Another opinion is, and it's the same idea, it's talking about the Kiseya Kavid, the throne of glory. In other words, the revealed oneness of God in this world. So, so now let's go back to this idea of process. The idea that God creates this, this word, Olam, which is Elam, where God's presence is hidden, and it's Breshis, it's with beginnings because there's a middle and an end. But in Pasuk number two, in the second verse of the Torah, I mean, as fast as you can say it out afterwards, you know what I mean? As fast as you can get this information out, God is telling you that the, the soul of Mashiach, the finishing of creation, the revelation of the throne of glory of Hashem, of the oneness of God for all to see, is waiting, it's hovering, it's waiting to land. It's right there. That's, that's verse number two of the Torah. After chronicling the exiles, because Hoshech is Greece, but then the other words in there correspond to other exiles. So they're giving you the whole history. God is telling you everything that's going to happen before creation is complete. But now listen to this. So we know that when Hashem originally created the world, now don't get too locked into the imagery of this, because we don't have, we don't, the rabbis are just giving us a way, a, a vocabulary to communicate things which are beyond, 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 beyond. You know what I mean? So when we talk about vessels and, and kalim and the shattering of kalim like we're going to do in a moment, don't, don't imagine a jar floating up in outer space, right? I mean, that's the language that we've been given to communicate these very deep ideas, but, but don't, don't take them too literally, okay? Because you'll be missing the point, okay? So the idea is that God originally shone this great light into this vessel, but this vessel wanted to basically do it on its own. And so it wasn't able to, make, to, to, to contain this great light. And so this vessel shattered and these, these, these sparks fell. All right? Now, when you're talking about these sparks falling, you see, this is a level of, of death because the rabbis understand that when something goes down that there's, and, and it doesn't have its original state, there's a, there's a taste of death to it. And, and Rabbi Kaplan, Ari Kaplan in Inner Space says very clearly that like, for instance, you can see this, you know, directly when a person is buried. When they're, after 120, when they're dead, they go down, right? So again, this descent, and, and it says a, a poor person, right? Like, do you remember what, um, do you remember what Yaakov Avinu says to, to Eliphaz? Eliphaz is the son of Esav. Esav wants to kill Yaakov, right? So he sends his son to go and kill Yaakov, Eliphaz. But Eliphaz is like, you're my uncle. How can I kill you, you know? So Yaakov Avinu says, you know what? Take all my money. You take all my money, then it's like you killed me. And, and so the idea is that that level of descent, right? Because now he's got nothing. He had nothing at that point. He had like a stick. That was it. That's, that, that going down a whole quantum level is like a death, okay? So when these sparks fall, that's like a death, all right? And how do we say death in Hebrew? Mace, mem, tough. Now listen to this. By the way, just to give you the, just the next step, but just as an aside, because we're going to concentrate on the, the, this idea of the falling sparks right now. But... Then Hashem made new vessels and these vessels all shared the light with each other. Okay? And now when they were sharing the light, like if you look at these sort of Kabbalistic charts of the different sphero, right? You see that there are lines connecting all the different sphero. That's the idea that these um, vessels were sharing the light with each other. Once they shared the light with each other, they were able to maintain the light. 
So that, that in itself is just a very beautiful teaching that, you know, if you can forge a community, right? If you can forge bonds of friendship and family and, and things like that, then you make a, a connection where you become a very great vessel where you're able to hold revelations of godliness, which is much, much higher. You know, that's, that's like a very real thing that, that people should understand that building community is a very, very great thing. And of course, we want to make a, a family out of the entire world, right? That's, that's, the, that's the goal. Because we're all children of God, all of us. All right. So let's get back to this idea of these falling sparks now. And let's revisit this word, merachephes. So merachephes begins with the letter mem. Now I'm telling you now from the Ari. This is the Ari speaking. It begins with the letter mem and it ends with the letter tough. That spells, as we said, mace, right? Which is the idea that these sparks, quote unquote, died because they had descended from the initial shattering of that initial vessel, they fell like a, like a quantum level, right? So that's the, that's the death there, okay? The falling of those sparks. Now, what are the remaining letters? The remaining letters are Reish, Ches, and Fe, which the Ari, again, says adds up to 288. So from this he learns out, and again, it's way more involved than this. This is just what I understand and the little that I can give over, but it, it's, it's enough for us right now. So that it was 288 sparks that initially fell. So do, do you follow how he learns it out? Do you see how he learns it out? Okay. So now, now listen to this. So we're talking about, and, and what's our job? Our job is that we're going all over the place. Like the whole idea, it says in the Gomorrah now, this is not the Kabbalah, this is the Gomorrah. The Gomorrah says that one of the reasons why the Jews are spread out all over the world in terms of exile is to uplift these fallen sparks, right? Right? To teach the Torah, right? To, do, to, 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 to expose the light of the oneness of Hashem to, the, to all the peoples of the world, right? It, I don't know if it uses the language uplifting falling sparks, but it's, the, it's, it's this idea of the exile that we're all over the place in order to make this rectification and to reveal the oneness of God. But it's the same idea. So, so now listen to this. So we say that this, the root number of sparks which need to be elevated is 288. Alright? So now I... I, I don't know how exactly, but this just kind of came to me, right? Is that if you, if you take eight days of Hanukkah, eight, right? And we light 36 candles, eight times 36 is 288, right? In other words, Hanukkah we see here in a very, very deep way is uplifting the falling sparks of creation. Right? That this light that we're putting into the world is like fixing the whole world. This breaking down of the barriers of the inside and the outside, right? So that just the initial light of creation is shining through. The oneness of God is shining through. That this is like one of the primary rectifications that we can possibly do. Now, I want to go, I want to go deeper into this. Because... Because I think we can understand what I just said better and more deeply, okay? So, okay, so, so you're telling me, okay, so I'm lighting the candles. I was lighting the candles anyway. And we've been lighting the candles for a long time anyway. So, okay, so what did you just tell me? That, 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 what did you, how can I use that exactly? So I thought, you know, the math is so clear. Eight nights of Hanukkah, 36 candles. Eight times 36 is 288. Like that's the number the Ari says is the initial idea, the initial falling that needs to be uplifted. The math is so clear, but what does it say? So I thought about it. I thought about it some more. And I think that the key, for me anyway, at least as a starting point, the key number here is eight. 
And now we're going to get maybe more practical. Okay? So, let me just tell you something about the story of Hanukkah. And it contained a piece of information that I learned pretty recently that just floored me. Right? Which is, everybody knows that we went into the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, and we cleaned it out, and we wanted to light the menorah. And it's not that there wasn't any oil there. There was lots and lots of oil there. But none of it had the seal of the Klein Gadol. All of it had been um, desecrated in some way. Right? And so, and so we continued to look, and it was hard. But we, we were like, you know, we're lighting the menorah for the first time. We've got to do it with, with tahara, with purity. We've got, to, we've got to do it in the best, most beautiful way. And, and they found this one jar that hadn't been desecrated. And the miracle of the light happened with this one jar. Okay. Now here's the new piece of information. That according to Jewish law, Alpi Halacha, it would have been 1,000% permissible and halachic to have used the desecrated oil. Now that floored me when I learned that. That floored me when I learned that. They could have, they had plenty, it's not, because in the back of my head I'm always thinking they didn't have oil. And then I, they, but then they always say, but there was one with the seal on it. So I never quite kind of thought it through and understood. And then when I heard this teaching, that not only was there plenty of oil, but they could have used that oil and it would have been completely according to the Torah. It's a little complicated how that works out, but it's, it's, it's true. But now let's, let's think it through right now. Do you think had they lit that oil with that desecrated oil that the miracle of Hanukkah would have taken place? I don't think so. I absolutely don't think so. I absolutely don't think so. You see, we have in Torah, we have like numbers. Numbers always signify ideas, right? We're not just, you know, we don't put like a cone-shaped hat on our heads and, you know, get into numerology. That's not, that's not what we're talking about when we talk numbers here. We're talking about each number corresponds with a different philosophical idea. And it's shorthand. Right? So one of these bits of shorthand are the number seven and the number eight. The number seven stands for that which is according to the natural order of the world. The number eight is that which transcends the natural order of the world. That's the level of miracles. That's the whole idea of Hanukkah being eight nights because it's on the level of the miraculous, right? That's the Mara. He's the one who brings that. So had we just used the oil that was there, which we could have used, that would have been really on the level of seven. And interestingly, you know, we light an eight-branched menorah, which technically speaking is a Chanukiah, right? But the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash had seven branches, right? Now, now, had we used that oil that was there, that would have been like on the level of seven. But we did something called Mesiris Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh is just the point of this entire talk, okay? We've finally gotten there. So, Mesiris Nefesh means that a person goes beyond themselves. Right? That, that they hit a wall of sorts. Right? There are all sorts of walls. You know, I, have you ever learned this about the walls that they use to keep flamingos Housed. So they use really short walls, but flamingos see that wall, and because of the way their feet are, they won't step over the wall. <laughs> you know, we've got to get the flamingo out of us. <laughs> Where we see like a little wall and go, you know, like Rebbe Nachman talks about. You know, a story where it's like a, an army and they battle and they, they climb walls and they go through battles and soldiers and all the rest and they get to the headquarters of the top general and there's a spider web in front of the door and they go, come on, let's go home. Right? Like, 
what? There's like one more obstacle there? And that's when you threw, do you know what you went through in order to get to that place? A thousand times harder. Right, all of us. Do you know what all of us have been through just to get through today? And then all of a sudden, like, tonight, you know, we don't get a phone call returned or a text or an email or whatever it is that we just throw in the towel. Right? That, that spider, you're giving up on the spider web? So that's like, that's like, that's the flamenco level. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the small wall. So, so the idea is, Mesiris Nefesh means that a person hits their breaking point on some level. And yet, they regroup and they harness the strength and the devotion and the love, that's the key word, the love, to go further and to continue. And then, magical things happen. Because now, all of a sudden, you've gone beyond yourself. You've transcended yourself. And that's what happened with the oil. They said, you know what? All of this oil has been desecrated. It's been used for purposes of a Zorah, for idol worship. We could use the oil, but how can I use this oil? I can use this oil, but how can I use this oil? You know, someone came up to Reb Shlomo. They told me this story. And they came up to him and they said to him, Tell me a Torah that's just for me. And he said back to them, you know, people think, he said to this one guy, he said, you know, people think that I want less from people. But the truth is I want so much more. See, but a lot of times, what a lot of people don't understand is that if you, if you really want so much more from a person, the person himself or herself has to be the one who wants to do so much more. That level has to be generated from the person themselves. It can't be outwardly imposed. So our job, if you want something, if you want so much more from someone, if we want so much more from the world, the ball is not in their court because we want so much more from them so, so new. Give us so much more. The ball is in our court to inspire them to give so much more, to want to give so much more. Now that's an art in itself. How do you do that? Okay. So it's, 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 that's something else. But, but not by harassing them. And you know something? You can harass someone with kindness as well. <laughs> not to harass them with kindness either. It just has to come from another place. Right? So that's this idea. Now let's bring it back to the falling sparks, okay? The idea is like this, that when we go beyond ourselves, right, that's like going a quantum level beyond ourselves, we're able to lift up the sparks a quantum level. You see, it's a whole nother order of elevation that happens when you go beyond yourself the effect that it has on other people and the effect that it has on the world is a whole quantum level of uplifting. That is what I think the math is saying. 8 times 36 equals 288. That when we go, when we went beyond ourselves, this miracle happened which was able of uplifting all of the small falling sparks. And that's the message for us in terms of our day-to-day -day life. To be able to confront these blockages, these walls, these I'm too tired, these I don't want to do it, this you know what, I care, but you know, let's be honest, I just don't care that much. And to do it anyway. But not to do it with a frown. Because <laughs> if you're doing it with a frown or you're doing it with a level of annoyance, or you're doing it with a level of now you owe me, that's not what we're talking about here. It's this level of going and transcending yourself and doing it from a place of love. That's the real Messiris Nefesh. 
then if we can do that, then we make breakthroughs. That's what breaks down the inside and the outside. That's what makes the breakthroughs. That's what makes the breakthroughs. And people sense it in their bones. The world senses it in their bones. You know, in our history, the Jewish people's history has been an entire history of that level of breakthrough. And the entire world knows it. The entire world knows it. When they look at the Jew and they look at who the Jewish people are, they understand that we're for real. We're for real. They know it. They know it. Bless you. Okay, so at the, at the, at the risk of um, hammering the point, right? Let me, let me just say one more thing. And, and, and again, because, you know, we, the, the, the name of the, this series of talks is called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. So the idea is that hopefully that we have actual tools to do these things, right? So I just want to just say it in one more way, just very practically, but very quickly, just very quickly. You know, when I was a kid, we had these like um, these uh, these game shows, right? And and one of the one of the game shows that I grew up with was this one called um, Beat the Clock, right? And and so what it would do is they would have they would ask a question or they would give you a they would give you a task. Um, So they would they would ask you a question and they would give you a task and they they would time you. And basically you the number of points that you got was in accordance to how fast you were able to do the task. So two people could could do the same task, but if one of them did it with five seconds remaining on the clock, right? And then another person did it like much slower. The one who did it faster would get more points, right? So it's the same way with mitzvahs. See, we have another, here's another big disconnect between Western thought and between Torah thought. And you have to allow yourself to really absorb this idea. This, this idea might not sound like right to you at first, right? So you have, to, you have to really think about it, and then you'll see the truth of it. The Talmud teaches that if you actually do something because you're commanded to do it, that it's a much greater act of avoda, of service of God, than if you do it just from your own free will. Now this is actually the opposite of the way that they teach it in Western society, which is that if you... I did it from the goodness of my own heart, right? As opposed to, you told me to do it. That's considered much better. I did it from the goodness of my own heart. And by the way, there are instances where that would even be true in the, in the Torah context as well. That, that, so it's not, it's not the opposite of Torah. But let's, let's just get clarity on this point. The idea is God runs the world. <laughs> that God is in charge. And if my primary source of taking marching orders is from myself, then what I'm communicating when I do it, quote unquote, from the goodness of my heart, is that I run the show. <laughs> that I'm number one, and that I run the show. But if I do it because I'm commanded, what I'm demonstrating through my action is that there's a God in this world, and that I serve him, and that he's number one. And from this you see something very primary, which is that it's great to serve God. Like, I get to serve God. You know, I mean, think about it. You know, we have it in a, in, 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 in a way that's uh, very relatable, which is like, let's say I get a, a job like writing a screenplay, right, for, for um, I don't know, Martin Scorsese, right? I'm telling everybody, I'm working for... Martin Scorsese, like, look at, look at me, right? So, so, but meanwhile, what did you just say? You mean he's not working for you? What, did you just hear me? I just told you I'm writing the screenplay for his next feature. Oh, so he's not working for you? Hey, do you know anything? Hey, dummy, li listen to what I'm telling you, right? So here you're like so proud of the fact that you're working for this man, right? So... And this is like the ultimate covet that you are working for this man, 
right? So let's now apply this in the most infinite way. To be able to have the schos, the merit, to serve God. Right? I'm working for God. This is the greatest thing that I can possibly do. What? You, you want to be employed by God or you want to be self-employed? <laughs> right? What do you want to put on your tax return? <laughs> so, you know, people see it as sort of like an undermining of their dignity. What? I'm being commanded? No, I'm being commanded. No, I, I'm calling the shots. Don't call the shots! <laughs> There's a time and a place to call the shots. But let's, we're talking about on the deepest, most root level right now. Right? So, so the idea now is that with Mesiris Nefesh, just to wrap it up completely, with Mesiris Nefesh, the idea is now I'm being commanded with how much speed am I going to serve my master? And the more speed and the more strength that you serve God with, the more you're on this number, on the, on the level of transcendence, on the, on the level of number eight, on the, on the level of being able to quantumly uplift those things around you. Right? If you say, you know what, I'll write the check, I'll write the check, but you know what, I'll write it when, when, I, when I have time to do it. It's still going to be the same money that goes to the same organization, but the amount of light that's going to radiate from that action is going to be very different. Right? Okay, I'll drop it off. I'll drop it off. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You still do the mitzvah, but the amount of light that it generates is quantumly different because the first level, when you do it right away, it's, Sir, yes, sir! Sir, yes, sir! Right? And that's man. I'm here for you, God. This is why I exist. I'm here for you. That's awesome. That's a whole nother level. So, so all of us are candles. And let's keep the wattage on 11, right? As they say. <laughs> and Hashem should just bless us with the, with the revelation of His ultimate light. Yeah. Okay, so just one more uh, last teaching on Merachethet. Uh, um, remember, that means the the hovering of um, of Mashiach or the uh, throne of glory um, above the waters. Meaning to say that 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 um, Hashem is 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 waiting to enact the last stage of creation from from the very opening of the initial moments of creation, right? Because the first verse of the Torah is saying, in the beginning, with beginnings, God created the world, right? Which is signifying the, the initiation of a process, right? Because every beginning has a middle and an end. And the very next verse is telling you that Hashem's, that the soul of Mashiach, the Ruach Elohim, or the Kisei covered the, the throne of glory is just waiting to come down and, and complete the process of creation. So interestingly, I was looking at this, this word, Merachethet, and if you take the last three letters of the word and you rearrange them, it spells the word door or opening in Hebrew. Pe, taf, ches, right? Um, that means uh, Pesach, that's a, that's a door or an opening. And then, then the word becomes uh, very interesting. It's a, it becomes mar, which means bitter, opening, right? Um, so, so in other words, the, the, uh, the idea of, of, of waiting for, for, for the end to come can be a bitter opening, but everyone who uh, is, a, is a student, a chassid of Reb Shlomo, knows that, um, that Reb Shlomo would take the word mar, and he would rearrange the letters, so it would spell ram, which means the highness and the elevation. Like, um, the month of Cheshven is known as the only month of the year without a holiday in it. So when they announce the coming of the month, they, they often say, Mar Cheshven. You know, that's it's sort of the, the, the month has this sort of nickname that, you know, that it's bitter because it's lacking a holiday. But, um, but we know the, the rabbis teach that, that the third base of Migdash is going to be actually dedicated in the month of Cheshven. So um, for that and other reasons, Reb Shlomo would say, Ram Cheshven. So, so whenever you go to the happy meeting of the Karlbach shuls around the, around the world, they announce the arrival of the month as Ram Cheshven, which means the, the, the greatness of this month. So, so with this in mind, let's revisit the word Merachethet. Uh, 
which means that it can either be the idea of exile. In other words, the, the fact that God's presence is, is waiting to land, is waiting to be revealed, that this exile can be mar, it can be bitter because it's not here yet, or we can, it can be ram, ram pesach, that, that this, this is an opening for greatness for us because we get to be partners with Hashem in terms of revealing and finishing off creation.